So during my fun day yesterday, somehow I got to talking about um, what I do and a um, a friend of a friend, because I was over at someone's house for dinner, asked, uh, what is my favorite thing to teach? And I said, oh, most of my students like talking about like the medical and future uh, applications for technology. And I said, what I love to teach, though, is what students don't find very interesting, which is transmedia storytelling and intertextuality. Thankfully, this person knew what I meant. And their first uh, question was, what's your favorite form of transmedia storytelling? And this is where life gets fun, because the first thing I could think of was Star Wars. And I got this really confused look from them. It's like, what do you mean? They went, oh, the modern comics. I went, no, 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 it's history. And I thought you guys would love this. Everyone knows uh, the original trilogy of Star Wars, and when it was originally produced, uh, the first film was produced, they didn't think it was going to go very far, because it was kind of a niche genre. They thought it was mostly going to be aimed at teenage kids, and maybe younger ones, and that was it. It would just go by. But what they decided to do is they asked Marvel Comics, like, we've got this, um, this property we're not too sure is going to happen with it. Do you want to just, you know, take the plot and characters and make a comic out of it? Do you want to adapt the first film and then just kind of run with it? And they did, which is great because by the time the film premiered, there was already three issues of that comic out on the stands. And it was some of the first comics to sell over a million issues since the, like, the Bill Dozier 1966 Batman days. It was a phenomenon. And what was great is you're living in a time where you don't really have, like, um, VCRs or anything like that that at home. So if you wanted to watch a film, you had to go back to the cinema or hope it was on TV. So what would happen is you'd get these kids buying up all the comics so they could relive this film that's now just a sensation. So what I thought would be great for this kind of little podcast is I would revisit something I briefly offhanded mentioned, I think last episode, which was um, my undergraduate dissertation. I wrote about this. And I think it's a fascinating subject, and I just wanted to share it with you guys. So there's going to be a lot of, uh, like, Star Wars talk, maybe a little bit of X-Files, and... Oh, what was the third subject? The Matrix. Yes. So, um, maybe first I will describe what transmedia storytelling is. Transmedia storytelling allows for a story to be told across a multitude of platforms. So you may start off a story in a film, and that may continue into a TV show, but then, say, one character in there gets a spin-off series in a comic, but it all relates to the same universe. That is transmedia storytelling. And what's great is um, a lot of this comes from fan outcry at some points. They want to see more of the world. And one of the best examples I can ever bring up for a fan outcry is actually Sherlock Holmes. It was Arthur Conan Doyle who actually killed Sherlock Holmes in um, The Final Solution. And 16 years later, he was, brought, he was brought back in The Adventures of the Empty House in 1903. This was 16 years after he'd killed off Sherlock Holmes. And that was due to fan outcry. So fans do hold a lot of power when it comes to this stuff. It's, um, with transmedia storytelling as a franchise, it's referred to as like the audience becomes a participant. They can choose how much they want to be engrossed in a story. If you just like a TV show, then you can just watch that. But if you want to absorb every part of that universe, then you have the option to go into books, comics, or anything else produced related to it. And this actually comes from, um, if you listen to uh, 2003 by Henry Jenkins... He coined the term transmedia storytelling, and it comes from a Japanese practice of media mixed culture, which actually comes from Astro Boy, like Osama Tezuka's uh, Tetsuan Atomo, which we know in the West as Astro Boy. 
and it's cited as being one of the first examples of mixed media because you would have um, the manga or comics in this case and then you would have some of the first anime on TV and they were all kind of connected but uh, it's often stated that for a transmedia franchise to be successful it must offer like it must offer choice you can't say that everything is 100% necessary to even remotely understand something new the longer an audience member wishes to remain in that universe, then great. The greater the franchise is perceived worth. Uh, Henry Jenkins described transmedia storytelling most simply as being the art of world building. While a film or television project could be said to already inhabit this principle, the use of transmedia storytelling opens a new door within the great realm. So it's all about how much the audience is willing to discover. And a very strong example of transmedia storytelling in action is actually the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Now, bearing in mind, when I originally wrote this, we didn't have the Netflix TV series. So I was originally referring to the films and then the little shorts you've got on the DVD, oh, the DVDs and the Blu-rays to so like item 41, I think it was. And then a funny thing happened on the way to me on there. But now we also have the Netflix series. So we have these television shows that not only tie into each other, but tie into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I think we had Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. at the time I wrote this. I'm pretty sure we did because I was watching it at the time. Yeah, I must be. And that was a, a primary example, because everything that happened in the cinematic universe affected the episodes. And what was great about living in England, where there's a bit of a time delay, is there is an episode, I think in the first season of uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. that ties into Thor the Dark World. And I saw Thor the Dark World a little late, like in its third, fourth week. And the episode that ties into it happened to come out in England, like the day after I saw it. So I, I was very happy with that. So yeah, that's just a little thing on my part. But um, what's great is Hollywood is kind of... They've been a little loose about adapting comic books in the past, but now that the comic book medium has kind of become a staple in Hollywood, I mean, what, we have Justice League coming out in a couple of weeks, Thor Ragnarok, I think I saw two weeks ago, that was absolutely fantastic. Like, we are more and more relying on comics. But comic books can and have provided the opportunity to discuss a wide and varied range of subject materials as a form that can both uh, reveal the mindset and the thinking of its characters and also has a robust language for action. While the superhero genre is the most prominent in the comic book media, there are also several points in history where romance and horror comics have outsold their superhero counterparts, particularly after the Second World War. Despite the consensus that um, comic books are solely restricted to superhero and action-adventure subjects, uh, perpetuated with big-screen adaptations of uh, Kingsman, The Secret Service, and The Dark Knight, it's important to remember that they, do, they are incredibly versatile, that the message should never be mistaken for the messenger. The genre possibilities for comics are just as open and broad as those available to film or television. Comics can and have explored multiple genres, characters, and themes including like real-world reenactments such as Mouse, which obviously took place in World War II and is just a stunning piece of work in itself, but then could also include the sweeping space drama like The Ballad of Halo Jones by Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons. Gibson, rather. I keep saying Gibbons, it's Gibson. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Some uh, film and television shows are adaptations themselves of properties that may not appear to be even comic uh, related to comics at first glance, such as the French film um, Blue is the Warmest Colour and um, The Diary of a Teenage Girl, which just strengthens the proof of the comic book medium's versatility. This is the problem. When I say to someone, comic books, who isn't really a comic book reader, they assume the only thing I'm talking about is superheroes or action fair. But there is so much that could be um, told through comics that 
just makes it such a versatile medium. It's just as, if not more versatile, as TV and film, or even books. Uh, I hate when people kind of stronghold comics into being just one thing, like they must be action orientated. But the great thing is that the more people are realizing it, the more they can they realize they can use comics for this medium of expanding a world that has nothing to do with superheroes. So despite the wide variety of choice genre-wise, the most common genres used for adaptation and transmedia purposes are actually like science fiction and fantasy. The science fiction genre in particular is one that never fades. It may pass out of fashion for a time, only return in updated garb, as Broadwell and Thompson put it. If you are a film student, I'm sorry, I just brought up Broadwell and Thompson. I'm not even a film student and I can't stand hearing Broadwell and Thompson. <laughs> the science fiction and fantasy genres are already open to world building, thanks to their origins as evolutions from fantastic voyage tales. And so it's natural that they would be the most frequently experimented with in the transmedia practice. However, the idea of a tie-in comic may be seen in some circles as uh, relatively unremarkable and of little interest to, other, to any other than die-hard fanboys looking to fill the gap between television series, as uh, Danny Fingeroth puts it. Nevertheless, they can also be seen as examples of what Henry Jenkins refers to as metatext, offering readers a chance to experience the characters and hallmarks of their series outside of the screen. While there are numerous examples of transmedia storytelling in action, three notable entries, and the ones uh, I kind of want to draw attention to today, are Star Wars, The X-Files, and The Matrix. Can you tell I'm a child of the 90s? I'm a child of the 90s, who just remembered they have a cup of tea next to them. The Star Wars franchise provides both an early and prime example of transmedia practice at work. When Star Wars was in the process of being released, it became imperative that attention was drawn to the project through other medias due to the distributors and executives' lack of faith in the project. It was decided that attracting early attention through comic books would be an ide uh, ideal choice. And approaching Marvel Comics Stanley and later Roy Thomas with the proposal for a six-issue adaptation distributed so that the third issue would be available before the film opened. This culminated in a 107-issue run spanning all three films, the time in between, and the aftermath. At the point of issue seven, the comics transitioned from an adaptation to a transmedia franchise. With the phenomenal success of the first films, the Star Wars comics became some of the first since the Batman, uh, Dozier, Finger, and uh, Sampler Jr. days of 1966 to 1968 to sell over a million issues. The Star Wars adaptation brought a whole new interest to comics in a decade where there was much... I really can't speak today. <laughs> the Star Wars adaptation brought a whole new interest to comics in a decade that was, the, for the most part, a slow one thus cementing Star Wars as a prime transmedia franchise incredibly early in its lifetime. It's worth noting that at the time, the printed comics were the only way to re-experience the Star Wars films without returning to the cinema until their eventual home release, leading to comics' high sales rate. Marvel used this opportunity to expand the franchise's lore through the use of its characters, mythology, and settings. And while the franchise was still young, provided a number of baselines for, uh, for later entries. With the constraints of writing around both uh, Episode 5, The Empire Strikes Back, and Episode 6, Return of the Jedi, the comic was able to develop and explore details that the films could not explore due to time and budget restraints. The great thing about comics is you're, you, what you can show is not restrained by your budget, it's restrained by what the artist can draw on your imagination. And even then, you're probably very 
good ways of getting around it if the artist is good enough. But focusing and developing on stories with the rebels dodging the Empire and thus the surrounding movies, fighting one-off aliens, rogue Imperial, barons, and bounty hunters, with the comics having to wax and wane between adapting a new movie and telling original stories. I kind of think of this as the modern anime practice, where they're trying to adapt a manga but then they catch up to it, and you have these long filler arcs. Like, that was, um, that's probably the best example I can give. Especially if you look at, say, Dragon Ball Z or Naruto, or something that just had insane filler arcs. But through the adapted and expanded work, the comics were able to keep that prior work alive, giving it an afterlife, thus retaining interest in the property during the absence between films. The impact of the original Marvel run had... Uh, could still be seen, not only in the franchise's comic book uh, successes, but also in the most recent entries, um, The Force Awakens, and now Rogue One, and then soon, The Last Jedi, which I cannot wait to see. I have my tickets booked, I'm seeing uh, Force Awakens, and then at midnight, I'm watching The Last, uh, the Last Jedi, and I can't wait, because I booked mine like three days after they went up, and I can't believe I got tickets. No, most noticeably, it in its uh, depiction of a looming threat arising after the Empire's falls. The initial Marvel run was one of the first entries in what is referred to as the Expanded Universe, the collective term for the, fr um, the Star Wars franchise, crossing multiple films, comic books, novels, such as uh, Air to the Empire, specials, cartoons, and video games, including um, The Force Unleashed. Essentially, the definition of a transmedia franchise. By 1987, Marvel had ended its run on the franchise. Merchi uh, merchandising came to a halt by 1985. Star Wars fever had largely subsided. During the beginning of the 1990s, Dark Horse Comics had, some, uh, had come to acquire the license with uh, Star Wars Dark Empire from 1991 to 1992. They provide themselves, uh, they proved themselves more than capable of maintaining the expanded universe, as well as breathing new life into a franchise by reigniting interest. Many have come to hold the Dark Horse entries in a high regards, able to stand head-to-head -head with the classic films in regards to quality. Despite the casual film fan remaining largely ignorant of the expanded universe, or having little to no desire to dive into the material that provided the franchise with a far greater level of depth than the films could alone, with the acquisition of LucasArts by Disney in 2012, the previously built expanded universe became non-canon. However, Disney still understood how vital transmedia is to the Star Wars franchise, and used its previous acquisition of Marvel to explore this universe once again in a way that is compared to Marvel's earlier um, excursions. While each form of media provides a coherent story and would allow to reference the other, Knowledge of every form was not necessary for enjoyment, providing the audience with a choice that they are willing to explore. And what I think is great about uh, Disney kind of using Marvel again for the Star Wars comics, I've I always found it hard to try and think about diving into the expanded universe as, like as a teenager. I wanted to, but every time I tried to look for something to read, I kind of felt very overwhelmed by the amount of choice. Because I kept thinking, I'm going to pick something up and it's going to end up being a sequel to something I can't find. And I'm not going to know what's going on. And I'm just going to hate it. I really am. I know I am. I'm going to get lost. And then when they started bringing out the new comics, I've, uh, I've recently been reading uh, the first volume of the Jason Aaron Star Wars run. And then I read Mark Waid's Princess Leia, which was really good. I liked it. And I, I have a friend of mine who won't stop recommending... Um, 
the Darth Vader one. And I I must admit, a little while ago, I was in a store and I was reading it. And there was this bit with like an evil C-3PO who goes to shake Darth Vader's hand and then says, probably best not because this is how I exterminate people or something along those lines. And I must admit, it's high on my list of things to read. So if there's anything else in the Star Wars like comics universe you think I should read or anyone else should read, leave it in the comments because I just want to read more stuff. I really do. But what's um, great about Star Wars franchise, um, that as a transmedia example, is you can then look at something like The X-Files as well. Like In the case of The X-Files, the franchise's use of transmedia provides a contrast to that of Star Wars in their choice of a serio-episodic structure in their comic books, a similar structure to their television show's own format. Uh, this would allow for installments to be presented or shown in an almost random presentation, with an episodic or serio-episodic structure in place when planning a transmedia world, continuity and timeline become less of an issue. You could set any issue of a comic that's just one story anywhere in that timeline and not have to worry so much because it's just an off-handed story. Uh, this structure enabled the comic books to focus on a consistency of characters and mythology, while experimenting with settings and events. In the comics industry, these are usually referred to as done-in-one adventures, something the Golden and Silver Ages used to great effect. The X-Files lends itself to the structure remarkably well, containing various uh, revisiting, revisited storylines across multiple series and films, known as the mythology episodes, and a multitude of standalone stories. With this uh, familiar setup already in place, it allows fans of the series to easily move over to the comics and for those introduced to the X-Files through the comics to enjoy the series in a similar uh, storytelling format. The episodic structure makes much more use of the audience's goodwill towards the characters as you visit them when all is normal and when they're... and not when they're facing certain death, thereby creating a deeper connection between the audience and the characters. The X-Files franchise was uh, consciously built to be a cult series, to attract, the uh, to attract the fan consumer market. With this cult status and fan base in place, expanding the narrative to new forms of media becomes a more attractive concept as a dedicated fan base is ready to consume most media related to that franchise. With the television series being considered by many as the main continuity, the, prof uh, the prospect of moving between screen and print may appear to cheapen the printed story perceive uh, perceived worth in the eyes of the consumer. This provides the challenge of proving the comic's worth, and that while the stapled pages of words and pictures may seem material and culturally flimsy, they are just as film can be. A, a vessel which can hold any number of ideas. In the case of the X-Files, the choice was made to uh, bring a form of authorial ownership to the comics by um, reproducing the distinctive font of the brand logo and a created by Chris Carter banner to the cover and the content. Uh, this decision ultimately brought a sense of worth to the comics that they may not have achieved otherwise. In addition to the seeming lack of authority that tie-in comics may display in relation to their parent medium, the difficulty also arises as to how the comic portray key characters. While this is a problem not entirely unique to the X-Files franchise, as most transmedia franchises that feature an illustrated medium will encounter it at some stage, 
the illustrated representation of characters are a key component in the original Topps comic's success. A large part of the character's identity is not only developed through the script, but through the actors and actresses um, interpreting them. The original Topps line of comics would most notably attempt to sidestep the, limita uh, the limitation by providing uh, photographic covers of each of the comics. However, this did not solve the uh, initial problem, as the characters depicted in the story are clearly hand-drawn caricatures. While many would cite Gillian Anderson's physical performance as Scully as being the defining element of the character, her gestures and her voice are distinctly Anderson's. In, contracts, uh, in contrast, rather, comics lack motion. The artist must, in his or her way, conjure a representation of not only the character's likeness, but their behaviour and mannerisms in the form of a static image. A notable artist in the original line of, of Topps comics is uh, Charlie Adlard, who used his interpretation of the character as an avatar limited in its capacity to evoke Gillian Anderson, but freed to expand upon the representational, uh, representational range of Scully. Adlard developed uh, conventions of, rep of representing Scully that depicted the character's physicality and costuming without imitating Anderson's likeness thereby using the example set by the actors as a framework in which to build upon, without betraying the essence or nature of the character. In a similar vein to that of the um, Star Wars franchise, The X-Files has seen a revival in both its comic incarnation and in its parent media, with a line of comics from publisher IDW Continuing the series past its initial cancellation and the subsequent films, um, The X-Files, I Want to Believe, I think that came out in 2008, The X-Files was able to live on through a medium where it already had a foothold. Which is amusing because uh, our original interpretation of the season 10 and now season 11 of The X-Files actually came in comic form with comic writer Joe Harris deciding to continue the series as a comic provides the awesome crossover appeal and potential uh, this franchise brings to the publishing and the industry. Due to the franchise's cult following, many long-term fans who did not read the comics have picked the franchise up in the comic book medium in order to dive back into the series, according to an interview uh, with Alaire in 2015. Uh, with the 2016 return of The X-Files to television, this, uh, creator Chris Carter wanted to once again tap into the cult fan base in the same way the comics did, stating uh, this is for them to top L in 2016. The fan base for the franchise is what has kept the series alive, sustained by both the Tops and IDW comics until its much-anticipated television return, and I believe the new series should be out next year, and I'm still trying to play catch-up on that, I really do. But I must admit, I will recommend um, The X-Files uh, Conspiracy, which is kind of a crossover comic with um, like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and The Crow and Ghostbusters. That was just really entertaining. I think that was my first um, introduction to The X-Files franchise. Uh, in contrast to both The X-Files and Star Wars... The Matrix franchise uh, provides a stark warning as to what can happen when the core objective of transmedia storytelling is ignored, and that's choice. 
A transmedia franchise must offer choice to be successful. To discard this concept is essentially to do damage to the franchise as a whole. Through its use of film, anime, comic books, and games, uh, may portrayal uh, may portray the Matrix franchise as a prime transmedia example. Its execution was um, predicated on an audience having already consumed the previous media in the correct order. No film franchise has ever made such demands of its consumer, uh, stated uh, Henry Jenkins in, 20, uh, in 2006. Uh, when considering only the sequel films, events, and characters are presented with no uh, explanations, assuming we have almost complete mastery over its complex mythology and ever-expanding cast of secondary characters, a mistake that is carried over to other relevant material. As The Matrix was being released internationally, the Wachowskis um, planned how a complete universe and story could be told through multiple media. Despite the plan to display this universe through many anime, comics, films, and video games, its execution expected its audience to seek out every single piece. That in order to understand the complexity of the movie's Matrix, one needed to purchase additional media. In the case of the second film, The Matrix Reloaded, there is no explanation as to what The Matrix is, why the main characters are important, or why the audience should care, before more important details concerning the plot are introduced. Secondary, seemingly one-off characters such as Kid are introduced with no explanation of their significance other than those given in supplementary material, including Kid's Story, um, uh, an anime produced by Watanabe, who uh, is most famous for Cowboy Bebop. While this would usually be an ideal practice if you are attempting to augment your storytelling world with supplementary materials, it is done so often throughout both The Matrix Reloaded and The Matrix Revolution that any member of the audience that had not sought out or was possibly uh, unaware of the supplementary material was left without numerous incidents and plot points explained. The fault with this execution is that the creators failed to provide one coherent story in just one medium. Its reliance on continuing plot lines in multiple media forms uh, relegated it to notable failure. It was uh, exceptionally transmedia. The franchise's reliance on multiple media to fill in gaps robbed the audience of the choice to dive in further, forcing them either to give up on the story or switch to a new medium completely. The creator's choice in regards to how they expand their narrative heavily reflects their own inspirations and influences. It's been noted several times by the Wachowskis that they um, drew greatly from anime such as Akira and Ghost in the Shell, as well as several comic books including Grant Morrison's The Invisibles. Morrison himself has stated that so much of the Matrix is plot by plot, detail by detail, image by image, lifted from Invisibles, so there shouldn't be much controversy. With this uh, wealth of inspiration through various media, the director's choice to use these to their advantage became a natural evolution of the story. Anime shorts such as The Second Renaissance, which portrays the overthrow of humanity, that led to the events of the film and the final flight of the Osiris documents uh, the final mission of the Osiris crew as told by the character Nairobi in The Matrix Revolution. 
Also, comic books such as A Life Less Empty, which uses a new character to contrast uh, contrast the possible life Neo could have led had he chosen the blue pill, and Deja Vu, focusing on a couple still trapped in the Matrix, catching glimpses of the real world in their dreams. Despite the volume and talent behind the comics, however, they are the least known and distributed uh, of the available media. While also being the franchise's best case for transmedia in action, the stories told through the comics are centred around background characters and events, providing readers with a connection to the world around the main characters, building a greater mythology for the franchise. Possibly the greatest artifact The Matrix has produced for an example of transmedia done correctly is the short comics, uh, short comic, Bits and Pieces of Information. Though the comic consists of only eight pages, it requires no previous knowledge of the film, uh, of the franchise, and provides a look at the catalyst for the franchise's history. The events shown are presented as everyday occurrences, such as uh, B116ER's achievement as the first robot to kill a human. That requires no knowledge of what came before or after, but is reflected in the story of the Second Renaissance and became the originating uh, plot point for the Matrix films. The comic itself, uh, the comic introduced the pivotal figure of B116ER. The Second Renaissance builds upon bits and pieces of information, which both form the backbone of the first film, though the manner in which the Matrix attempted transmedia storytelling lacked an understanding of choice. It is a flawed experiment, an interesting failure, but that its flaws did not distract from the significance of what it tried to accomplish. The transmedia storytelling has been used by numerous franchises to both a phenomenal degree of success and notable failure, with The X-Files, Star Wars, and The Matrix barely scratching the surface. There are multiple examples you could go out there and use. Um, I think the Avatar show continued on as comics, and I imagine The Legend of Korra has as well. There are countless examples you can go for, and in fact, you can list some of your favourites uh, in the comments if you have any. But um, the film and television industries embrace the comic book medium has allowed both industries the opportunity to expand their narrative in a way neither format could achieve on their own. Addition, um, additionally, prolonging a franchise's lifespan by keeping the narrative alive giving it an afterlife it would never have had otherwise. The comic book format, due to its versatility, can and has been used not only to expand an ongoing narrative, but to reawaken long-dormant properties and reintroduce them to their original audience and a wider demographic that may have missed the initial release, with a lower cost of entry and less risk than a, a multi-million dollar film or television project. Unlike film, television and games, uh, comics give the possibility for a creator from outside the mainstream industry to reach a mass audience, and for creators to experiment with a narrative alongside with audience feedback, providing a more open dialogue between creators, producers, and fans. With this free exchange, the audience can feel as though they are taking a far more active role, as well as that of an explorer able to navigate as they wish and influence the course set before them. The future of transmedia storytelling not only on the IMAX and Able surround sound uh, screens, but also in the four-colour pages, will be forged as a contributor between fans and producers, creating, uh, 
broad new horizons toward which an audience can choose to set sail. So that is one of the most fascinating subjects in my head. It's just transmedia storytelling and comics. And I have now been speaking for almost 40 minutes and my voice is really starting to hurt. So I hope um, anyone uh, like appreciated this or liked this or whatever. Um, I'm sorry it's not more visual. But it was one of those things where the more I thought about it, the more I was trying to think of how would you edit that kind of video without breaking it into pieces. And I just love this whole subject as kind of one thing. This is why I chose to write about it in the first place and why I want to expand on it later on in life. And if no one minds, I'm going to go rest my voice and finish my cup of tea. (laughs) Till next time.